Hear the word of God from Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 30. While you're finding that, may I remind the friends who are working in the Bible school, the Vacation Bible School, that next Sunday at 5 p.m. you will have an important gathering. Next Sunday, June 27. We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Oh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. His ways are past finding out. Mr. Grady's words this morning are themselves a commentary upon our verse of Scripture for today, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For we saw in living demonstration a Christian being supported by and affirming this truth that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. But what do you make of it? You see a brother here utilizing it. Is it too good for you? Is it too mysterious and deep? What do you think? Well, remember the setting in which it comes. Paul has already said to us by the Spirit that sufferings are really of no comparison with the glory, that sufferings are a kind of an exercise to get hope out in the open, and that sufferings are for us a chance for the Spirit to intercede for us. They have this value. And even when the intercession seems to fail outwardly and the sufferings go on, even then, far from working against our good, they contribute to it. Now, why is God, through Paul, laboring? How these sufferings relate to our Christian life? Well, I think that the way a Christian accepts and handles suffering has a lot to do with the joy and peace of his Christian living. In fact, you could say that God wants every believer to have joy when he realizes that the events of his life are all used by God for his good. Now, Paul is not being here a theologian primarily. He is that always. But Paul is being a pastor. He wants to actually help these Christians through their difficulties, and also he would speak to us as part of his flock. Now, the Spirit of God never gives you a great truth and hangs it in midair and asks you to believe it without support. 
All things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. A great truth, yes, if you could possibly believe it. But Paul, by the Spirit, puts ground under it, supports, so that what we're talking about here rests on solid footing. Let's look at some of that. It's found in the great words of this verse. That word, all things. God here isn't excluding anything. When Chrysostom, the early Christian saint and sufferer, was dying, he spoke these last words. He said, glory to God for all things. And he had tasted a lot of suffering. Glory to God for all things. Was Paul saying the same thing? That all things are working together for good for those that love God? Well, certainly he meant the sufferings he had been talking about this present suffering. He had been talking about infirmities, about groanings. Certainly he meant sufferings and hard things and tribulations. They come because God allows them in his wisdom. Sometimes he sends them. Sometimes he withholds the protections that they may enter. Or he withholds blessings that there may be suffering. Not that suffering in itself is good. It is not. The Bible never says that which is bad is good. But it can be used for good and is used for good in the life of the believer. That's the great point. Thus the psalmist could say, it was good for me that I was afflicted. And he could say later on, I was going astray. Then the Lord afflicted me and taught me his statutes. You see, we need the hard places and the shadows of life, just like we need the bright and sunny ones. We need to be sometimes awakened out of our spiritual torpor and made to sit up and listen. Sometimes we need to be humbled from our natural pride, which still seizes us. Sometimes we need to be drawn away from material and earthly attachments where we have gotten so engrossed with the cares and the things of this life that our hearts have been weaned from God. And sufferings do just that. The all things... That refers to the hard places, to be sure, and also the good places. We read, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The normal existence of the Christian is not in pain and shadows, though those things are there. Psalm 16 says, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. And Jeremiah says by the Spirit, I know the thoughts that I have for you, thoughts of peace and not of evil. God's ways with us are mostly pleasant and we receive them with joy. Don't think 
that God's only going to give you the bitter and not the sweet. He gives it all. All things work together, the blessing and the bane. These together work for the good of the believer. Even the sins. The shortcomings. God doesn't cause you to sin ever. When you do sin, misery results and unhappiness. And there are consequences of sin. But this assurance we have, that God even weaves our sins into the tapestry of his plan and even uses these ugly things which we wish were not there and which we loathe. Nevertheless, nothing is wasted to God. Jonah sinned desperately against the Lord, running from him in disobedience. And God took that ugly rebellion of his and made it the very qualification for his message of repentance to Nineveh. Had Jonah not sinned and been swallowed by the fish and returned in that spectacular deliverance, his message would never have been believed by Nineveh. Not that God approves of his sin or caused him to sin, but God is so much greater than our sin that he even uses it in his purpose. However, don't take that next step, which is to say, let us sin, therefore, that grace may abound. No, never that, never that. But always the confidence that all things, whether suffering or sunlight or sin, all things work together for good for them that love God. If you have in your past life some ugly stain which every day haunts you yet and which you would give anything to have removed, remember, dear friend, if that's under the blood of Christ and forsaken and renounced, God will use it, attach a spiritual meaning to it, build upon it. It will develop your character and make you strong in the very area in which you fell. Take another of the grand words here. In everything, God works for good with those who love him. What is the for good? What is that good? He works for good. You say, well, I haven't seen much of the good. I've seen other things, but I don't know what you mean. He works for good. Well, we have to remember that from God's point of view, the good is different from ours. God is concerned primarily about the final and ultimate good, which is when the believer at last is shaped into the likeness of Christ and looking into the face of the Father is with God forever and ever. That's the final good. And all the things of this life, whether sin or sunlight or suffering, all these are moving toward that ultimate goal. All things work 
for good. Yet, nevertheless, there are intermediate steps of God's goodness along the way. It isn't that he reserves all the joy for there, but here and now we will also see in the midst of the pilgrimage the fitting together of God's divine plan, and we will sense goodness even along the way. This is for the children of God, however. For those who love him, good. For those who are called according to his purpose, good. God's purpose for you is good. Now it's very important to realize that we must never use this verse of comfort with anyone who does not love God and has not been called by his purpose. That would be giving to your ungodly neighbor a false comfort and a wrong hope and a very dangerous bit of advice. Never tell a man, all things are going to work together for you, my friend, if he's resisting God, because the exact opposite is the case. The man who's spurning the gospel offer that man, all things are going to work for bad for him. And everything will at last converge, not in his ultimate joy and glory, but in his eternal perdition. There is therefore a very precise and special application of this verse to those who love God. Why does Paul put it that way? Why doesn't he say those who believe in him? Not everyone who believes in God is a Christian. There'll be many people who believe in God who suffer everlasting punishment because believing in God is not enough. What we are called upon here, God makes a demand of all men, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and mind and soul and strength. Those who love him and the only way for any man to love God is first to be loved by him. It takes the warmth of his love to melt these icy hearts, and then love can proceed to him. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. That's the great glory of it. And he gave his son to be a propitiation for our sins, for those who love him. We love him when we keep his commandments. And in all of the exercises of genuine and true religion, we show our love to God. Therefore, this great promise has application to you, my brother, and to you, my sister. If deep in your heart you know you have felt the love of Christ, and you are earnestly desiring to return that love by keeping his commandments, then you may apply this to yourself. Have you been called according to his purpose? To be called does not simply mean to be invited to the gospel. There is a general call that goes out to all men, whosoever will may come. But that's not this call. Those who are called means those 
in whose life the Spirit of God has come and interrupted and interfered with that life and laid the mighty hand of God upon the soul and says, John, you're mine, John. You belong to me. Look into my face and know my love. Have you been called by God? Has he interrupted your life and laid his hand on you and possessed you and claimed you? And whether you wanted to or not, he is yours and you are his. If you have known that call, then this verse, this promise is yours. But if not, friend, you cannot take this verse. It belongs specially and particularly to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Well, let's take one last of these great terms. To understand some of this base on which this great truth rests. It doesn't show up so well here in the Revised Standard. Better in the King James where it says there in everything, everything works together. All things work together for good. That word work together is one word in the Greek language. And it's a most interesting word. Let's focus on it. How these things work together. That is, what is being said is that there is a, an adjustment and a balancing and an interweaving of the events, not only of your individual life, but of all of life around you. All of these harmonized somehow into a grand plan which is God's special will for you. Now, let's not be mistaken here that somehow these events have in themselves the power to work together, and they simply work out. That's, a, that's an error. It is God who is doing the working together. That is, he is the one who is blending, harmonizing, developing the events of your life in such a way that you will reach that final good. No question, no doubt, no thwarting of that final destination. That's, that's God doing it. I see, we, we forget about God. We think that he is idly watching the transactions and events of the world, hands folded, distant, letting things sort of take their course. No, God is the helmsman of the universe, and he regulates all things, governing them by his will, restraining them by his love, and in his own wisdom causing whatsoever happens to come to pass. Think of it. The secret providence of God. Secret in the sense that from the aspect we see, we cannot understand. It looks as if things are unfolding by what men do, and by chance even. But behind them all, God is at work in a detailed way, not just generally putting out laws of cause and effect and standing by and watching these laws automatically proceed. No! Not one leaf falls from yonder tree, but God is there and in it. 
Not one hair of your head is lost without God knowing the number of them. And all this regulation and restraining and developing and harmonizing of events, all this, friends, catch this, all this is for you. We read in Psalm 57 and verse 2, Lord, you've performed all these works for us. That is, the believer is the object of God's moving in all the universe. Even things which do not directly touch his life are for the sake of the elect. The world is for the church. Think of that. Oh, how he uses in his wisdom these opposing forces how he can take good and evil and somehow beyond our power to know, he harmonizes and brings out his glory. We saw an example this morning. An ugly, awful thing like human disease could still be used in his grand purpose of bringing glory and honor to his name. He doesn't cause the disease. But it's like the works of a clock. Some of those wheels turn one way and some turn the other, but the direction of the time goes forward. And some things that blow into your life are cold north winds and they chill you to the bone. And others are gentle zephyrs from the south. But somehow these come together and all these are working together for your good, your final glory in Christ. Joseph saw this when he said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And when someone criticizes or persecutes or harasses your life, lift up your head and rejoice. God will use it for good. That's what David did when Shimei cursed him. He said, I needed that. I needed to hear that. I needed to be humbled. How varied is the providence of God. You cannot predict it. Sometimes he uses the means like Christ did when he went in the boat. Sometimes there are no means at all like Christ walking on the water. Sometimes it's exactly against the means like Christ speaking into the storm and stilling it. You can't predict it. But God is working. The same God who created all things by the word of his power upholds all things, not from a distance, but by involvement in every event of it. He is there. The creator is present, working in his things. And that's why the Apostle Paul was led to use this marvelous word the working together, the way God blends events for the good of his own. Ah, what to make of this, friends? What shall we do with this verse? It makes us sing because it says, we know. Now, the early church, apparently, the way Paul addresses them, 
had this as an axiom. He didn't even try to prove it. He didn't develop it and expound it as I've tried to do because he simply took for granted that every household, wherever this letter would go, they already knew that all the events that were coming to pass were going to work for their good. And he simply reminds them. But I sense that because we've begun to rely on human wisdom and on our own insight and we've listened to the voices of the world that we've come away from this and we can no longer say we know that all things work together for good. Somehow we've let that slip and we need to regain that. Let me speak for a moment about how to do that. Look, all we need to do if we see this truth as Christians is to live in love with God. The more you live in God's love and Show love to him just because you love him and do things to him and for him because of your love for him. Like breaking the box of ointment, you bring him joy. Your love for God will soften every infirmity and illness and weakness that comes. Life is difficult, but love for God sees through the difficulty. It isn't that things are going to work for you only when you're loving God in a very positive way. No, no, no. You're in Christ. All things work for you. But I'm saying that to enjoy this and to realize it, live in a, in a state of loving God. Practice and develop that. And trust God in the dark. It's easy to trust him in the light. But the true believer walks with him in the dark. Because you know and I know that since Christ is going to use everything for our good, no enemy out there can possibly defeat us. Nothing can defeat us since we're in Christ. So why be afraid of the dark times? In fact, the darkest things, the things that look most like they threaten the idea of God's goodness. Those are the very things that God will use to build you up the most. Don't jump to conclusions in your life. If for the immediate time you're going through a desperately difficult hour and you do not know how you can hold together for one more day, remember the ultimate end don't look at it so immediately. The great French engineer Deceps was quarantined for a time on the Mediterranean, not allowed to leave this ship. Days dragged into weeks, and weeks ambled into months. And one day, a conception came to him why not a great canal between Africa and Palestine? And the Suez Canal was born out of a forced quarantine. Had he jumped to conclusions and chafed against the restriction, no great blessing. Don't forget the past kindnesses of the Lord. I can recall when children were smaller and taking them on a 
month's vacation near a lake with tennis and hiking and the last day coming home. And when we wouldn't stop for that last ice cream cone, came the words, Daddy, you never do anything for us. <laughs> the past kindnesses of God far overwhelm all of the present difficulties that you're going through. Jacob fell into it. When his son seemed to be dead, he said, all things are against me. He'd forgotten Peniel and Bethel. He didn't know Joseph was alive. He didn't know Simeon was alive. He thought Benjamin was dead. He said, everything's against me. But God was working for good. And God was going to bring him through to his final glory. And so will he do with you. Oh, dear friend, nothing, nothing can thwart God's purpose for you. In fact, everything is conspiring together under his magnificent direction to bring you at last home with Christ forever with your beloved dead. And so shall you ever be with the Lord. Oh, that's reason to rejoice. That's reason to give thanks and praise God. And I call you to it. I say to you that anything less than peace and joy in the face of suffering is sub-Christian and not worthy of you as a follower of May peace and joy be ours, therefore, even in the darkest hours. Let us pray. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Now may grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.